Welcome to Addicted to Busy, the podcast specifically for overachieving property managers who are dying for a little more work-life balance in their lives. Each week, we dismantle all the BS that holds us back. You'll learn how to nix those tricky self-sabotaging habits so that you have the time, energy, and motivation to create what you really want in life. If you're looking to shift from overcommitted to overjoyed, this is the podcast for you. Let's do this. Now, your host, Anna Havalyana. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Addicted to Busy. As always, I'm super excited to be here with you today. Last week, we had some amazing conversations around why you might need to temporarily slow down so that you can speed up later. Now, there are plenty of places where this shows up. One of mine is obviously doing journaling. I often find that when I clear my mind of the drama of the day, that allows me to show up to work with full focus on my tasks. We are all managing multiple priorities. We're trying to prioritize different relationships. We are trying to find a way to make everything work together. And sometimes what we need to do is just take a minute to clear our mind. That can be with journaling, meditation, maybe taking just a brief walk around the block without your phone, just to get into the mindset so that we can show up and do our tasks with full effort and full confidence, right? I can hear a lot of you saying, gosh, I really don't have time to just stop and go for a walk around the block. I have so many things on my to-do list. And I get you, but again, if you're showing up to do those tasks with a very, very busy brain, chances are you're not putting forth the full efficiency that you have available to you. The big one that we talked about last week was taking time to delegate and taking time to teach other team members what it is that you do. Now, this will slow down your process for a couple days, or maybe if it's a monthly task, it might slow down your process each time you come to do that monthly task. But if you do it and you do it well, and eventually you can fully delegate that task to someone else, you have created hours for yourself in the future that you can start using in different ways. Another place where we really need to slow down in order to speed up is not going after the low-hanging fruit tasks right away. Listen, I get it. We get little dopamine hits anytime we get to check something off of our to-do list or anytime we clear out a couple of emails, and it feels good in the moment. But oftentimes, we are using that low-hanging fruit to distract ourselves from getting after the tough tasks that we know need to be done. Or sometimes we're using all of those emails that are piled up as an excuse to not start that report that is due in a couple days. So again, be willing to slow down, be willing to take on that difficult task first, because once it's done, you are free to go after those dopamine hits to your heart's delight. Anyways, we are continuing last week's conversation. We've been talking about the competence ladder and why you need to understand where you and your teams are falling within that ladder. I'm going to quickly recap the ladder once more. So the ladder helps us evaluate our skills and our awareness of our skills. You can be unconsciously incompetent. That's where you don't know what you don't know. You can be consciously incompetent. 
That's when we know that we're lacking in a certain skill and we can potentially see the benefit as to why it might help us to have that skill. Next, you can be consciously competent. That's when we have a skill, we're confident in it, we know that we're good at it, and we know that we can carry it out and do it well. And then finally, there's unconsciously competent. And that's when we're so good at a skill that we're no longer aware that we have it. It's just become second nature to us. Last week, we talked about how if you aren't aware of a certain skill that you have that your team lacks, you might be taking on work that could be done by someone else. This week, what we're going to talk about is the role of emotions as we progress through the different stages of the competence ladder. Research shows that any behavior change, it requires emotional effort. If you're not willing to put the emotional effort into seeing a behavior change through, it's going to become harder for it to stick. So if you're in the process of learning a new skill, You've got to give yourself grace to just feel whatever emotions come up. Because if you don't give yourself space for frustration or irritation or confusion, you could end up being unnecessarily hard on yourself. Anytime that you're trying out something new, it is totally normal and should actually probably be anticipated that you're going to feel a little bit frustrated. A big part of being a great manager is also being an amazing mentor. That you can all think of people who you've met in your career who have been great mentors and people who you've met in your career who have been awful mentors. I've been very, very lucky that I've been blessed to cross paths with amazing mentors who really took the time to teach me. Being an amazing mentor requires you to be able to recognize knowledge gaps within your team and then have the ability to help fill those gaps. As a leader, it is important for us to evaluate the strengths and weaknesses of each individual on the team so that you can then provide them with the support that they need. And as we know, every individual is going to need something different. The tricky part here, as we've mentioned a couple times, is that many of the skills you have are now second nature to you. So things that used to scare you or freak you out, they no longer do. I used to get, I'll call it stage fright. I used to get stage fright whenever I was leading a meeting with ownership groups. I would trip over my words. I would frequently mispronounce things. If any of my teammates are listening, they will likely remember the time that I kept calling expediters, expeditors. (laughs) And I just kept doing it over and over again because I was nervous. But now the thought of leading a team meeting, still a little bit nervous, but definitely not as much as I was before. The tricky part here is that some of the skills you have are now second nature to you. Now, at the time that you learned them, perhaps they were challenging or there were certain tasks that used to freak you out. But because you've done it enough, you're no longer challenged by it. It's just part of what you do. So when you're mentoring and you're mentoring on the skills that are now second nature to you, you might have to start with some self-reflection. So a simple question that you can ask yourself is, how did I learn to do this? 
All right. As humans, we are all subject to cognitive distortions. Cognitive distortions are habitual patterns of thinking, but they're not always accurate. One cognitive bias that we are all subject to is called the peak end rule. The peak end rule is the tendency for us to generalize an entire experience based on either the high emotion or the low emotion that we remember. Here are a couple of examples. Many people will look back on their time in college as the fun years. And yes, I agree. I certainly had a ton of fun staying up with my friends way into the early hours of the morning and or staying out at Joe's Nighthawk all night. When I look back on my college experience, for the most part, I am generalizing that entire experience with the fun that I have. But let's be honest, that doesn't really encompass the whole experience. There were definite lows, like sleeping through my alarm on the day of an accounting midterm or the time that I failed my orchestration class and had to pay to take it as an independent study over the summer because it wasn't going to be offered again before my graduation date. Again, these were definite lows, but when I recount the story of my college years, I'm telling them from the peak. Another example is hiking. Like I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I went hiking with my husband in Arizona. Whenever I talk about a hike that I loved, I'm usually talking about the end experience. I'm talking about the view from Camelback Mountain or how cool it was that a helicopter passed by us as we were almost to the top. I rarely talk about the low points of that experience, like how it was 100 degrees and how much my legs were burning or that I dropped my phone and cracked my screen. <laughs> On the flip side, we can see the peak end rule in action from the low emotion. A classic example of this is a relationship breakup. Oftentimes when a relationship ends, people can become overly focused on what caused it to end instead of making space and reflecting on the moments that were loving and that were fun. So bringing this back for a moment, when we look at the skills that we now have, Sometimes we take for granted just how hard it was to learn something. You can laugh if you want, but I really enjoyed putting together budgets. Now, I'll be honest, I hate all of the hype around budgets and deadlines, but I love the act of messing around with a spreadsheet until it meets the owner's goals. And I love it when it's approved because it gives me an idea of what I'm going to be working on in the upcoming year. But I definitely take for granted that it sucked learning how to do budgets. I remember the first time I wrote a budget, I got so lost in all of the numbers that at one point I gave up and started from scratch. I stayed up all night and I vowed that I was going to get it done in one fell swoop so that I wouldn't lose my train of thought. Now that's a story for another day. For any new managers out there, I do not recommend doing that. But again, this is the low point that oftentimes gets overlooked. As you look back on the skills that you have now that you can do unconsciously, you may need to spend time reflecting on how you got there. You might need to revisit not just the highs, but also the lows. 
This goes back to the concept of 50-50, that life is yin and yang. It's a balance of positive and negative, of light and dark. I've mentioned him before, one of my favorite philosophers and the founder of London School of Life, Elaine de Button, I think that's how you pronounce his name. He suggested that we should actually anticipate that 80% of our lives will be frustrating and challenging, while only 20% are going to be fulfilling and happy. Now, for me, I'm always going to stick to the 50-50 ratio. If we're stuck believing that we should be happy 100% of the time, we're going to run into trouble every day. Because if we believe that we should always be happy, we're going to start assume that something is quote-unquote wrong when we're not happy. The truth is, no matter what position you're in, it's always a 50-50 experience. So often we look at promotions as a way to get out of the tasks that we hate doing in our current job. I remember being a leasing agent and I couldn't wait to get to the assistant manager role so that I wasn't on the front line of the phones handling the upset tenants. And then once I was an assistant manager, I couldn't wait to be a general manager so that I could get out of the task of having to evict people. And once I was a general residential manager, I set my sights on commercial management so that I could deal with business owners instead of renters. No position gave me the relief I was looking for. Even when you get a new position or a new job title or move to a different company, you're still going to have problems. Just going to be a little bit of a different flavor. As a property manager, it's natural to feel overwhelmed when you're taking on new challenges or learning new skills. It's totally normal to feel like you're out of the loop when you switch asset types. We all have our own unique strengths and weaknesses, and identifying those strengths and weaknesses can be a powerful tool for self-growth and self-awareness. Taking the time to reflect on our abilities and areas that could also use improvement that allows us to gain perspective on where we currently stand and also acknowledge where we want to go. As we work to fill in those weaknesses, we will inevitably come across skills that we don't have. You're gonna run into your own conscious incompetence per se. And as you learn those skills, you'll likely feel discomfort. By taking a proactive approach to the emotional discomfort of learning a new skill, you're actually going to make it easier to progress through as you learn. If we anticipate that overwhelm is going to be present, then we don't need to panic when we start to experience it. Now, let me be clear, I'm not encouraging everyone to just spin in anxiety and worry. That's not helpful for anyone, and it's likely not going to get you the result that you want. What I'm offering you is that instead of looking at these feelings like a negative thing, what we want to do is look at overwhelm or challenges as a natural part of our career progression. I liken this like going for a run. When you go for a run, you build up lactic acid in your legs and then your legs start to burn. It's a normal process in our body. You run, your legs burn. We don't take off for a run, feel the burn, and then say, oh my God, what is this? Something must be wrong with my legs. They're burning. No, it's quite the opposite. We take off for a run, and then we anticipate that at some point, it's going to burn a little bit. 
anticipating a little bit of frustration and overwhelm and then dealing with those feelings in healthy ways is what will set one manager apart from another. When you acknowledge that you're learning a new skill and it's quite likely that you're going to want to throw your hands up or throw an F-bomb at some point, again, it's an anticipated part of the process. And when we anticipate that and process that in healthy ways, we will grow faster. Think about this like a balanced scale. If you accept that 50% of the time, you're likely to feel negative emotion, and then that 50% of the time you will feel positive emotion, then there's nothing to panic about when you find yourself stressed out or upset. But if you think you should be happy all of the time, you actually start to tip the scale the wrong way because we start laying on optional suffering, okay? And what that is, is we can either start judging ourselves or judging others, or we start criticizing the situation, or maybe even just denying the reality of it. This is where we get ourselves into trouble. It's okay to feel overwhelmed from time to time, but criticizing and judging, those are choices. Those are totally optional. I think of people's reactions when a management company makes a software change of some kind. For many property managers, the prospect of introducing new software can be daunting. And there are always those people who are going to balk at any change to their current systems and processes, even if it could make life easier for them in the long run. And listen, I, I get it. I have been through the pain of switching software systems before. But at some point, complaining about the change is just a waste of time. The management company has already signed the agreement with the software company. So when you're whining about the change or reveling in how much better the previous system was, you start wasting your precious energy on complaining, when in reality, you could be spending that same energy learning the new system. Whatever it is you're learning, could be something like new software, or it could be something bigger, like learning about a new asset type entirely, or maybe doing a lease up, whatever it is that you're learning, I want to offer you that you give yourself grace. One common trait that I see across property managers is perfectionism. We struggle when things aren't done exactly right or when we aren't fully up to speed. We do not like not being in the know. Now, if we're not cautious, we can be unnecessarily hard on ourselves. Mistakes are opportunities to learn. But too many people perceive mistakes as failures that need to be avoided at all costs. If you don't make space for difficult emotions, you run the risk of berating yourself into believing that you're not progressing quickly enough and you could be creating unnecessary pressure on yourself. It's easy to get down on ourselves when things don't go as planned, but Come on, this is property management. If any of you listening have ever done 24-hour quick turns, you know full well that it's not going to go as planned. So I want to invite you to play around with what you make failure mean. I think many of you know intellectually that failure isn't the end of the world, but you might still be reacting to it as if it is. Failure is not permanent. A year from now, most people won't even remember what happened because they'll be too busy trying to tackle tomorrow's problems. One way that I like to conceptualize this is I imagine that I have a relationship 
to my emotions, right? Now, what makes a great relationship? A great relationship means that there's open communication between two parties. It means that we can hold space for one another. It means that we acknowledge each other's lived experiences. Now, I have a great relationship to the emotion of nervous. But the reason why I have a great relationship to this emotion is because I've had a lot of exposure to it. When I was a kid, I used to take piano lessons and voice lessons, and my parents would encourage me to take opportunities to play and sing in front of people. So I had a lot of exposure to what it felt like to feel nervous and to witness my knees knocking or my hands shaking or my voice trembling. And eventually with enough exposure to that emotion or the deepening of the relationship, if you will, I started to be able to feel nervousness, but still show up in a way that got me closer to my goals. Now on the flip side, I would say that I don't have a great relationship to the feeling of disappointment. First of all, I'm not always consciously aware when I'm feeling disappointed. And because of that, I can tend to be very reactive. Now, this is something that I've reflected on quite a bit in my journaling and in my thought work. And so as much as I'm not always proud of the way that I show up when I feel disappointed, I'm also not freaking out about it. I'm not berating myself about it. I'm not making myself feel bad that I have these emotional responses to this emotion. Because I know that if I want to improve my relationship to the feeling of disappointment, all I need to do is invest more time in that relationship. I need to get to know that emotion. I need to hear it out. I need to work with it and honor its lived experience. As I mentioned before, taking on any new task will require you to feel different emotions. And so I also look at new opportunities and new challenges as an invitation to improve my relationship to my emotions, to improve how I show up in the world and make sure that I am responding and not reacting. So that's where I'm going to leave you today. As you work on your conscious incompetencies, take it as an opportunity to change your relationship to those trickier emotions. And if you haven't signed up for our mini workshop, hop online and get registered. Listen, we are in the full swing of summer and I want you to enjoy more of your summer. So on this webinar, we're going to talk about how to go from busy to balanced. This one webinar could save you a lot of time this summer. So hop on over and get registered. You can find the link on our website, anahavaliana.com, and in the top menu bar, click mini workshop. That is A-N-N-A-J-A-V as in victory, E-L-L-A-N-A.com. And in the top menu bar, click mini workshop. I hope to see you on the call this week. All right, my friends, until next time, I love you all. Keep going. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Addicted to Busy. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll catch you in the next episode.